Hi, I'm Hannah Bailey. And I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, our podcast where we talk about YA lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah! So this week um, we have a, a special episode, and this is really an episode that we, uh, it's very special in that we will probably never do this again, in fact. Um, but right now we have an Indiegogo fundraiser happening um, as part of our network, the Upford Network. We're saving, uh, or raising money to build a sound booth. Um And one of the perks is that you can choose any book for us to review, uh, and we have to review it. Mm -hmm. So this week, um, this book was from our first, the first person to buy this, Perk Howard, who suggested um, Station Eleven by Emily St. John uh, Mandel. Um, uh, The special thing with this one is that this is not a young adult book. It is not. Um, which we we didn't realize and hadn't really thought about the uh, possibility of people um, giving us non-young adult <laughs> books to read. Uh, but we, we you know, you give us money, we read the book. We read the book <laughs> um, that you want us to read. So, uh, so if you like power trips, um, you can check out uh, <laughs> you can the make link. You us read anything. Yeah, we'll have the, the link to the Indiegogo <laughs> campaign and, and you can check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, we're talking about Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, a um, not actually young adult no. novel. Yeah, so Station Eleven is, yeah, it is decidedly not a young adult novel. It's, well, at first we were describing it as post-apocalyptic, but really it's like just straight up apocalyptic. Yeah, it's, an, it's apocalyptic. Um, which, which is not a genre I read a lot. Um, I... Well, we had mixed feelings about it, which we'll talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, But so it follows several different characters, kind of like interweaving stories um, that interweave in really like interesting ways, which is cool. Um, Sort of before and during and after a like super virulent virulent pandemic that wipes out most of the population of Earth. Yeah. Um, I I will say that this format, the like interweaving of different stories where you can't necessarily predict how they're going to overlap, is one of my favorite yes. storytelling techniques. Um, and I did really enjoy mm-hmm. uh, seeing how those storylines interwoven interwove. Yes, I'm, and I'm it's also, done really well. I'm going to give a quick disclaimer. I have a terrible cold today. And uh, um, I'm hoping that it doesn't affect my voice or my thinking too much. But if I um, uh, get a little vague or a little weird, that's why. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's a be- beautifully written novel. Really, really well, well written. written. Yeah. Um, yeah, really gorgeously written and really good characters. Um, yeah, so let's dive in. I'm going to pull up my notes. So the first note that I had was just all caps, too real. <laughs> so <laughs> I agree with this assessment. So I think <laughs> my feelings, and I think Tefra had similar feelings, was that like it was a really interesting story and it's really beautifully written. It's like 
too real and it made me very anxious. Yeah, it made me very sad and angry. And yeah, and yeah, also those yeah. things. Um, um, I think that that opens up kind of an interesting like window into what the difference between YA lit and yes. adult lit is because, um, I think sometimes it's it's kind of hard like to know exactly what the the difference is in the genre. Mm-hmm. Of course, the usual tell is just that the protagonist is a young adult. Yes. Um, um, although the main protagonist, well, I don't know if you can say main protagonist, but one of the main characters in this book is she's not a teenager, but she's in her like mid-20s. Yeah. So she's not that old. But yeah, it's there are there are definitely like structural and mm-hmm. thematic differences, mm-hmm. which is interesting to think like, about. When I was thinking a lot about the difference between this and say a poke up Apocalypticus. <laughs> Come again? <laughs> Let's take that again. A post-apocalyptic uh, YA mm-hmm. series like uh, Mockingjay or Hunger Ga- or Hunt. Hunger Games and Mockingjay are the same series, or mm-hmm. Maze Runner, or Divergent, or any mm-hmm. of the seven million post-apocalyptic uh, series that are out there. Um, and yeah, I think it's just the like devastating bleakness of it yes yeah so it's realistic but it's also yeah it's just so bleak it was it was making I mean, that's why it's bleak it's realistic yeah. it's it's bleak it's because, because it's, it's very realistic devastatingly yeah. realistic yeah um i think this thinking about it was making me think about what we talked about a few weeks ago um about writing to hope because uh, this is not really a book that does that. Um, there's like maybe like the tiniest glimmer, like way off, like two thousand miles in the distance on the horizon in this book. But it's um, yeah, I would say that this is not so much a book that writes to hope the same way that a lot of young adult novels do. And I was thinking about it in terms of like I was like I just I don't really like to read sad books because like. If I want to know about how the world is terrible, I read nonfiction. And when I read novels, I want I want them to give me hope. Just especially this week, like, yeah. there's all this news about children getting taken away from their families and yeah. just, like, the United States president wanting to become North Korea. And it's just like, I was just like, oh, fuck it. Like, I don't need... I don't need also 99% of the world's population dying horribly in pain and fear right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because they're like, the book is pretty (coughs) devastating about like the effects of the apocalypse. We were talking about this also earlier Mm -hmm. that most apocalypse. I can't also, I can't talk I'm, I'm just going to say that poke apocalypse is like is a fine word to use. So most post apocalyptic um, I just gave myself two thumbs up yeah. because it's important I'm to giving you two thumbs give up. yourself reinforcement sometimes. Um, so this is a very silly episode about the apocalypse so far. Um, <laughs> that's that's going to be the subtitle of this. A very silly podcast about the apocalypse. <laughs> yes, oh anyway. boy. Um, okay, okay, okay. So what was I even saying before <laughs> oh, we're both a disaster okay. today. Um, you were saying, saying something we were talking about earlier about the book apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier, what we were saying was that most post-apocalyptic um, novels usually take place like 
a few like a generation or a few decades removed from the apocalypse yes so it's mostly about like the fallout and not so much about like the horror of the actual event but this book is like about the horror of the actual event as well as the fallout but yeah yeah so it's like Man. I was thinking specifically about Scott Westerfeld's series Uglies. Yeah. Uh, which is an yes, yes, yes. absolutely fantastic series, which we should actually we should we do should on do the podcast. And, and you should read. Yes. Um, but in that one, it does touch on, you know, how horrible the apocalypse must have been. And it does, mm-hmm. you know, there are like skeletons in cars and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's been long enough that you don't know who those skeletons are. Were. Because, like, in this book, it's... Most of it is about 20 years after. Mm -hmm. So, like, almost everybody remembers it. Yeah. (laughs) And um, there's a big discussion about, like, you know, is it it better to have not known that Mm -hmm. world or not? Um, Yeah, and is it better to teach the kids about it or not? Yeah. Um, Do the kids have it easier? (laughs) Or or do they have it much, much worse? Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, in 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 uglies, it's been enough time. It's been quite a lot of time. So there is sort of this like, oh wow, this was awful for these people. But you know, the same way like the remains mm-hmm. of Pompeii, it's like, yeah, if it's you removed. take a minute and you think about it, yes, that's it's horrifying. Horrible. Uh, it's but not like nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, it's it's there's a. Uh, a removed aspect, which there is not in this novel, which is, I mean, like, it's it's very good writing. It's very well done. But it's it's very bleak. It made us sad. And we don't always love to read books that just make us sad. I mean, I think for me, like, when I finished it, I was just like, this is why I don't read adult novels, Howard. I think you came into my room and told me that, actually. I think you came into my room, threw the book on my bed, and proclaimed that in an angry voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I also just want to put in that uh, currently one of the other perks on our Indiegogo campaign is that Kate and Paul will give a a real, like, uprousing pep talk on their podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be nice, Howard, if you would buy one for me and Hannah, <laughs> because we really need it now. That's that's just like be be a be a friend, <laughs> be a friend. Someone make us feel better. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So so that's well, that's the start of the list. So I have my notes on this novel. We're divided into two real and then things Hannah liked. And things Hannah didn't like. And so the first the first bullet point on things Hannah didn't like was all caps, holy horrifying Batman. Mm-hmm. So we've covered that. Um, now let's jump to some of the things that Hannah liked. And, and Teffer will chime in with the things that Teffer liked also. I will try. Uh, so I really liked, I really enjoy any book that talks about community. Mm-hmm. Um, cause community is like a super important thing for me. And like, cause I grew up at summer camp, um, which my camp had a very strong focus on community. So like intentional community and like people working together, especially to like overcome like horrifying things, uh, is something that I really like in books. And so this, this book has a really kind of lovely community aspect to it, which I really liked. So the... I'm a 
I think go ahead and call Kirsten the main character. Teffer, would you dispute that? Um, I think I think that's fair. I think she's certainly a central yeah character. Yeah, yeah. As in so much as there can be a main character, the main character is probably maybe a a woman called Kirsten. Uh, so at the beginning of the book, she's like eight, but you don't see a lot of her, and then. The majority of the book is set about 20 years post-apocalypse, and she is 28, and she is part of a group of traveling musicians and actors called the Traveling Symphony, and they basically formed this ragtag band of musicians and Shakespearean actors, and they go, they travel like a a territory, I think it's like in the Great Lakes region-ish, um... And they perform Shakespeare and music in the various settlements that have kind of been eked out since the apocalypse. Um, And so a lot, a fair bit of the book focuses on kind of like the community that has sprung up around that. And like, I I would say like one of the themes in the book is like, what I I, I think I wrote something that made sense. Oh, I wrote Creating Beauty in the Face of Unspeakable Horror. Um, And so one of Kirsten's kind of like a phrase that she clings to is a Star Trek quote, which is survival is insufficient. Um, I really, um, I I got really excited about that quote because I really love that episode and uh, I nerded out a little bit. That's seven (laughs) of nine who like is perfect. (laughs) I haven't actually seen Star Trek, but, um, but I really like... Hold up, hold up. Like any Star Trek. I do not think so. Like any. I don't think so. That really, that, that surprises me. I didn't grow up with it. I didn't either, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. fair. I just like, I would have, I definitely, I think I just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised too, to be yeah. honest. I think that I would probably like your, it if your, I watched your it. Your dad gives me Trekkie vibes is what it is. Oh, interesting. No, yeah. I don't. Maybe maybe he was a Trekkie when he was like a teenager. He listens to this podcast. I so know he, he can liked tell one us. of our tweets today. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think that was my brother, not my father. That was your brother, not your father. Yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, yeah, so Mr. Bailey, if uh, you are a Trekkie indeed, tell answer for be... your sins. Why has Hannah not been introduced? <laughs> okay. Um, so Star Trek quote. Star Trek quote, survival is insufficient. I like that idea a lot, even if I haven't seen Star Trek. Um, and so I like I like that part of it. Um, I'm just going to scroll through my list. Um, I like that the conductor of the Traveling Symphony, who's also like, like she conducts the orchestra, but she's also like their de facto leader. And she's a woman. And I liked that. Um, I like that um, the main... Re- well, she has a few really strong friendships, Kirsten, but, like, one of her strongest friendships is with a man who they're both straight-coded, and there's no romantic coding in their relationship, and mm. I really like that. I like it when books do that. Um, I like that there's a casual queer character just casually existing who doesn't die. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I think part of our, like, part of our yeah bingo has to be Hannah says casual queers casually being queer. <laughs> <laughs> but this book fills that. That's certainly. true. I do say that yeah. a lot. Don't yeah, I? I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed, no, the book is, the, it begins in Toronto. Yes. It's sort of sat around Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And then, of course, the apocalypse happens and borders mean nothing. Yeah. And everybody abandons the cities. Um, but I really enjoyed um, one thing that that always strikes me in Toronto is mm-hmm. that there's a real diversity um, mm-hmm. uh, ethnically, socioeconomically. There's a lot. Yes. That, um, I mean, it's a big city and there's the diversity that comes with a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy that the cast of characters is representative ethnically of sexually yes. diverse sexuality diverse i think you can say sexually diverse yeah, yeah. i think um, you can say that i could be wrong there's a cast of characters who who all have to do with each other and they come from very different backgrounds and different mm-hmm. places and and you know have um mm-hmm. are ethnically coded differently um yeah and it's also really interesting to see them building community in the face of all those kind of signifiers no longer being significant. Yes, that's a very cool, like it's, they don't draw attention to it, but right. you get the idea that this society is kind of like, well, we can't be racist or misogynistic anymore because. Like, the, yeah. the, we are all that is left. And yeah. a lot of these people live in settlements of like 10 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very interesting uh, but also, I mean, there's also a, a sorrow at kind of losing that individuality because you can't really yeah. afford individuality anymore. Yes. Oh, I didn't um, think about that. That's yeah. That's like, really sad. You know, most of uh, everybody pretty much has lost their family. Like nobody still has family. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody still yeah. has friends. Like your whole life is new. Yes. And uh, yeah, you don't, don't have anything and you don't have any way of communicating with anyone and you don't have the internet so you've lost most of your sort of historical log and and Mm -hmm. it sort of becomes yeah like you're ethnically this but it doesn't really doesn't mean mean anything anything anymore anymore. yeah Um, it's very you know sure you're you're queer but you only know 20 people so So. like bets are off what that means for you (laughs) yeah um and that's it yeah it's yeah. it's a very interesting dynamic and um mm-hmm. but i just really appreciated that it's that it's there mm-hmm. because that made it feel really real yes yeah it's definitely yeah it's not just a bunch of white people which would be unrealistic but lots exactly, of post-apocalyptic yeah. novels do that so you mean um post-apocalyptic novels are unrealistic yeah <gasps> Um. this one was actually like in a lot of ways very realistic which i think is what made it horrifying yes the only like super unrealistic thing was the fact that okay this is a big spoiler if you're gonna read the book but um the fact that there managed to be like several full planes that took off after the apocalypse had started that had nobody carrying the pandemic on them yeah yeah um wasn't wasn't the idea that they had taken they were like particularly long flights that had taken out bo- taken off before the pandemic had really broken out oh maybe i think that was maybe what it was. that's what that was yeah i think that's what that was because yeah. it where was, was clark flying from oh he god was, oh maybe he was flying from la or something Oh no! Maybe was he flying from England? He was flying from London. Okay, and I think it just uh, uh, the pandemic mostly spread through airports. Yes, so it's kind of a gamble. Yeah, and it just so happened that they were rerouted to this very small airport. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what it was. You're right. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, it's yeah. a very realistic book, which is part of what what makes like. What makes it horrifying? I don't want to yeah. talk about how this could actually happen because I'm just going to horrify myself some more. I, um, so. 
one other thing about like identities and communities mm-hmm. that I enjoyed in the in the symphony. Yes, is people, um, people's identities becoming their instrument. Yeah, that was very interesting. You probably have more insights on that as a <laughs> musician. Uh, maybe. I mean, I've played in an orchestra, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think it's one of those things that, like, we were talking about how your identity can get erased when you lose everything. Mm-hmm. But if you still have your instrument... Yeah, if you still, you still have your art, you still skill, have... Yeah, um, in a time when art is really kind of seems almost like... Um, yeah. well, you don't need it to survive. Almost obscene, sort of? Yeah. Just like... like the idea of you're, spending resources yeah. on... Like, yeah. you're playing Brandenburg's concerto and my whole family just died, okay. Yeah. Um, but there's one, the viola, who gave up her name yes, after the apocalypse. Yes, her name just becomes viola. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a few of the um, instrumentalists are just called... Who are just referred to as the seventh guitar yeah, yeah. and yeah, um, second and flute. found that a really powerful detail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't thinking about it in that way, but that's really interesting. Um, one one small thing that sort of amused me because of the way that I read it that I'm going to share while we're talking about identity. So there's a quote, um, which I mean could be interpreted in several different ways, but I interpreted it in one specific way, um, which is so at the airport, like right after all of the people have landed. Um, and they're kind of like trying to figure out what the heck is going on and they're seeing the news. Um, so somebody is talking about his wife and not knowing where his wife is and then asks Clark, who is the character from whose perspective it's narrated, um, if he knows where his wife is. And the the quote that I like is, Clark decided to pretend that the man had asked him where his boyfriend was. And so I just read this as being accompanied by like a deep world weary sigh of even during the fucking apocalypse, compulsory heterosexuality endures. Yes, I felt and that I, way also. <laughs> I just like, I just enjoyed that from because of that reading that yeah. I applied to it. Yeah, no, I think that's very clearly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that quite a lot as well. I mean, I think you could also interpret it as like him just being like, you know what, I'm going to like give people a break and like not make the deal of this that I usually would mm-hmm. um, but I chose to interpret it as like oh, yeah, even during the fucking apocalypse <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is still something I have to deal with anyways I, it amused me I enjoyed that I enjoyed it yeah um, so that's the end of my list of things Hannah liked okay well there's something I thought of yes. that, that I liked actually because um, I do think this, I do. Think, it's beautifully. I'm, I'm mad at it, but it's very, very good. And if you are like less emotionally affected by yes. art, because I am like very careful about the media I consume, because I tend to be deeply mm-hmm. emotionally affected by it. Yes, I. If you are less like that, yeah. uh, it's definitely a good book. Yeah, it's well written. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like if you can tolerate horror movies, you can probably you tolerate. You can probably this. tolerate. I, I can't. I cannot. Either. I can't watch zombie movies. Nope. I like. Bleh. Yeah. Um, I can like after quite a lot of exposure and like careful exposure, I can watch action now. But like, I don't love it. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Anyway, um, I like this idea of the process of history making, Mm -hmm. Um, because one of the aspects in the book is that uh, 
There's a central character who dies of a heart attack, not of the flu. Yes. The day that the pandemic right before, breaks. Right yeah. And he's an actor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, like, famous but kind of mediocre. Like, yeah. he's one of these actors who was very good when he was young and mm-hmm. then kind of, you know... Mm-hmm. Maybe he's less good. There are a few comparisons in my mind, but I'm just not going to make any, <laughs> just to be safe. Um, but mm. what's really interesting is that just by a series of, like, weird coincidences... Mm-hmm. He ends up being a character, a figure who everybody that the book follows remembers. Yes. And yeah, it's very quite a few of the survivors remember. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And um, uh, y- there's documentation about him that is that, that endures, yeah. Um, and also his first wife who who wrote I mean we were talking about the role of art Mm -hmm. she has this kind of obscure graphic novel that she wrote and published just a handful and because of who the survivors were two um, of them have copies of it yeah Um, and that's just a really it's an interesting conversation around like Mm -hmm. if we're gonna get kind of Hamiltonian who lives who dies who tells your story like um This guy who's not the biggest actor, like, he's maybe, like, make, like, Sir Patrick Stewart levels of famous. Yeah. Like, people know who he is, but he's not, like... He's not... Like yeah, he's he, not, like, an He's icon. not, like, Brad Dapp. Brad... Brad Dapp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. He's not, like, a, oh, like, 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 Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he's done a lot of stage as well as theater. Uh, yeah. As well as God, somebody shoot movie <laughs> stage as well as film. Um, but he's the one who he gets into the Museum of Civilization. He's the one who people mm-hmm. remember. Yes. Uh. Yeah, which is very interesting. Yeah, and Miranda, who was not at all known as an artist mm-hmm. during her lifetime, persists, and her. Mm-hmm. iconography gets wrapped up into this kind of new religion and yeah. like a horrifying new religion well yeah um, but yes it, it's just mm-hmm. really interesting oh yeah the storyline of the prophet was the thing that devastated me actually yeah. yeah i i can't since i had a kid even before but especially since having kid mm-hmm. i cannot handle sad child stuff mm-hmm. i just can't fair and like this is a book that is largely about traumatized children and what happens to them yeah yeah um yeah yep that is a large (laughs) part of the narrative (laughs) yeah so uh, Um, that that was hard um yeah yeah it mostly follows them as adults but like deeply is interested in how their childhood traumas yes play out in their lives yes and yeah it's pretty horrifying yeah um but you know masterfully done mm-hmm. uh yeah so one thing like that hannah and i were talking about so like a few days ago hannah was like halfway through the book mm-hmm. and i hadn't started it yet and yeah. and i was like how do you like it and hannah was like oh apocalyptic stuff gets me really anxious mm-hmm. and i was like 
I find it really soothing. I like to think about society collapsing and like not having responsibilities anymore and like I know how to cook food and make fire and then I read the book and at the end of it I was like okay well I'm taking my child and we're moving to like an off the grid homestead in the woods and I am going to start stockpiling antibiotics. (laughs) 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 You have more sympathy now with my apocalyptic (laughs) things make me anxious. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah reading this book I was like shit I need to like go take wilderness first aid and learn how to Uh, weave. Why the fuck do I live in the city? Why the fuck do I live in the city? Also that. Also that. <laughs> I am going to die because I live in the city. Um yeah. but sort of that's that's a silly point of this but like one of the other questions in this book is mm-hmm. is it better to survive or not? Yeah. Yeah, that is a big central question that it's thinking about a lot. Is yeah, like um, I mean and I mean really clearly with Arthur who dies right the before. same day. Yeah. Not through the horror of the pandemic, but, but through, through a, heart a sudden heart attack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he is full of hopes and dreams when he dies, and he has no idea. Yeah, he has no um, idea what's going to happen. And around his death, the narrator keeps saying, at that point, there's an omniscient uh, narrator. Yeah. Who keeps saying, like, 15 he, days and, before yeah, this the world person ended. dies, or like, yeah, yeah or like, like, Arthur has this interaction with this woman who would be dead in the next seven days, or yeah. like this guy who would be dead of exposure. Like, on a highway outside of Toronto. Yeah, it's not even, this person's going to die. The narrator tells you how. Yeah, yeah. And Arthur never has to know that. Has to know Um, that, And there's also Jeevan's brother, who Mm -hmm. chooses, rather than trying to make it, to commit suicide. Yeah. In his apartment, without ever going out and seeing Mm -hmm. what's been going on. Yeah. Um... And I know you have some... I have some feelings about that narrative, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um... Cool. You're, so, so something that bothered me, and I also like maybe my reaction to it is outside. But this was these were my feelings, so I'm going to share them with you. Um, was I I was left with an icky taste in my mouth at the way that um, disabled characters are handled in this book. So Teffer did point out to me that there is one disabled character that doesn't die. Uh, there's a blind or like basically blind uh character in the traveling symphony um uh who whose glasses break has have broken like five years before when the narrative is set so essentially blind um functionally so but anyway so there are two so there's that character and then there are two other disabled characters introduced into the narrative there's Jivan's brother who has a spinal cord injury um so is paralyzed from the waist down I believe um and there is a um a young girl like a teenager with severe depression uh and so they both they both die soon after their characters are introduced and they both their characters both like mostly function as plot devices to show you how terrible the world is Um, But the thing that, which, like, there are lots of other characters who function as plot devices that way, too. Um, But the thing that I think really left the bad taste in my mouth is not just that they die, but that they both die by suicide. Um, And it just kind of left a taste in my mouth of, like, disabled people are a burden and the abled's are better off without them. So they did the noble thing and removed themselves. Um, Which, like, maybe is not an entirely fair assessment, but it's how I felt. Um, although I did, I will say that 
that reaction is like maybe not entirely fair in the case of Frank, who's Javan's brother, because his his choice to commit suicide was also partially framed as he used to be a like a reporter in combat zones and that's how he was injured and so he he says i don't ever want to live in a war zone again yeah um and so 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 that's like yeah so i have mixed feelings about it but like my initial reaction to both of those things was just like this I don't love that. I, I'm going to add a little bit to, to each of those. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little pushing back, maybe not. Like, I think... Yeah, that's I think, fair. I think it's a fair um, fair comment. I don't agree that Frank dies soon after he's introduced. Because Frank yeah, is introduced very fair. early in the book. That's true. And, he's, he's around for a while. And Frank's disability is not brought up until it becomes relevant. That's true. So Jeevan just is thinking about his brother. He thinks mm-hmm. he's going to go visit his brother and hang out with his brother. And the fact that Frank is in a wheelchair does not come up until Jeevan is thinking, crap, about how logistics. am I going to get him out of the city? Yeah, that's that's true. You're right. Um, You're right. And I, I think he's... I don't think it's fair to say that he is presented as just a disabled character who dies because I think there's a lot more complexity to his yeah, character than there, that. Yeah, there is. That's, that's true. Um, I also really like his narrative as uh, a comment on death with dignity and on offering yes. that option. I, I do like that also, Because yeah. when you're in just a, like, a horrifying situation, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, having a terminal illness Mm-hmm. Or having a, a mental illness that makes your life torture, or yeah. or you know, mm-hmm. realizing that you're in an apocalyptic scenario that is going to be torture even for able-bodied people. Do yeah. you really want to go through that? Yeah. Um, I don't think I it think is a pure sacrifice because I think Jeevan is is very clearly willing to yes. figure out and would rather have his brother mm-hmm. with him. And Frank just like makes that decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that. That's super fair. Yeah. And I also. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say. Yeah. You know, you're right that the the narratives are not not framed in that way. I think my reaction comes from like being someone with a pretty severe chronic mm-hmm. illness that mm-hmm. like once meds ran out would probably make me pretty useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like feeling like. Okay, so in the apocalypse, I will just have to die. Right. Um, I I think it was it was a very like visceral like, this does not make me feel good as somebody with yeah a pretty debilitating chronic illness. Yeah, which like is fair because it's, probably I mean, in the apocalypse I will die. It's but part like... of the like bleak reality thing. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing that I did want to say is that I I had a really mm-hmm. different read of the girl who had depression. Okay. And I will say she is somebody who is introduced um, really just like she's a very minor character. Yeah. She's introduced just to show how things how, are shitty. Yeah. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that I, I don't think her death is framed as noble. I think her death is framed as really tragic. Yes. Because like she lands in the airport and she is asking people for a Fexor, which she mm-hmm. needs and nobody has it. Yes. And... Uh, She's clearly trying. She is. Everybody is also clearly trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and she slips away during a time when everybody's like not there, not paying attention. Like it's not like yeah, she's become a burden. She's been very quiet. She's been keeping to herself. 
and she makes this choice and everybody is like well that sucks and it sucks Mm -hmm. that we didn't see her go yes and she gets memorialized um yeah no those are all true things yeah I think I've been sensitive to that right now in a time when like there's mm-hmm. been a lot of conversation around suicide and yes. like changing the language around suicide yeah. and recognizing it as tragic and not as a choice mm-hmm. and not as criminal. Yes. Um, and I just really appreciated the honesty of that. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, as somebody who has a history of suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. um, who has a history of severe anxiety and who was realizing as I went through this, like also mm-hmm. like, yep, if the apocalypse comes, I might just like not yeah be able to um yeah 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 no i i i i think that those are yeah important points about like the the narratives they're both handled well um and i think that's why i feel ambivalent about them because i think they are handled well and they're really like realistic and honest they just like made me feel awful yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because of the way that they're handled but i think because of what i project onto them sure um well, they're very unpleasant. Yeah. And I think it's just like the idea of like, like thinking that like, like seeing it as the only options presented for me, which like is also like realistic, but, but also just left me with like a. I mean, if it's any comfort, like chances are you would have died of the flu. Yeah. This is, this is also true. <laughs> um. This is also true. Um, but yeah, but yeah, just... but I mean, then there is that question of is death really tragic when the world is going to shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> also a good question. Um, but yeah, no, you you said that you felt that at the end of the book there was some hope. I did. Okay. Um, tell me about that. I need it. Um, yeah. So I felt like I I feel like the book does it's it's like it's like a hope light, but like, um. Yeah, so, I mean, you get, you actually don't see, it's interesting because the book, there's a narrative that's focused, like, right after everything happens, like, right as it's happening, and then the other post-narrative is about 20 years post, and there's nothing really in between. Um, But they tell you how it used to be a lot more violent, a lot more lawless, Um, and so you get... I at least came away with the picture of, like, people are rebuilding, like, societies based on, like, mutual care and survivorship are forming and they're becoming more peaceful and people are helping one another. Mm-hmm. And then the very end of the novel is um, the people in the airport have been able to see with a telescope that a town, like, many miles distant has somehow rigged up an electrical grid. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I feel like the 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 ending did leave me with, like, a, a sliver of hope that, like, people will rebuild, mm-hmm. things will continue to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, like, a pretty slivery sliver of hope. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Mm-hmm. Like, gay society's rebuilding. And I think cool. also just, like, the other thing that leaves me very hopeful is, like, like I said, I really love narratives and like I get warm and fuzzy feelings from narratives where it's like people coming together in the face of something bad and like Mm -hmm. making a community Mm -hmm. that works and like there is a lot of that in this book Mm -hmm. Uh, so that also like made me feel a little bit hopeful 
Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, what really is the alternative? Yeah. Like. Like, killing each other all off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, I think you've convinced me that there's some some hope there. It's, like, not a huge amount, yeah. but there's some. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not as much as there would be if it were a YA novel. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it is kind of interesting also to see a society in which everybody has PTSD. Yes. And and just has to like uh, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh yeah. so yeah. That's Station 11 by Emily St. John Mandel. It's a bit of a change of pace for us. Mhm. Um yeah. It's excessively bleak. Yeah, it's it's pretty bleak. Um, uh, it's extremely well written. It's beautifully written. The characters yeah. are really compelling. Yeah. If you don't mind books that are going to make you sad. Like, the way I feel about it is yeah. if you can generally handle Canlit. So, Canadian Lit. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I took several courses on it in university. Canadians write literature that is bleak as fuck. And, like, I don't know what it is about us. I don't know why we were just collectively just like, okay, well, life sucks and you just soldier on. I think it is. I think it's the coldness. I don't I don't know why we live here. Um, uh, so if you've like if you're like a Canlit fan, um, um, you will probably love it. Because yeah, it, it is written by a Canadian author. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And it's based in Toronto and it's it's got mm-hmm. that trademark just... It's like a November of a book. Yeah, E.K. Johnson um, doesn't write horribly depressing books. That's true. Um, well, but that's YA. Canadian. That's right? YA. Though, like you yeah. get into YA, and YA is not is not, not just not. fucking bleak as hell. <laughs> this um, is true. Like, like, I don't know. Um, I think maybe there's a new generation of can lit authors who are like starting to get away from that. But like mm-hmm. the canon of Canadian lit is just like we live on the land. The land is unforgiving. The men are hard, and the women kill themselves. Um, that's just kind of a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It's, it's, sometimes the men kill themselves also. Like, I know y'all love Canada, but geez. <laughs> I have not read as much Ken Lit as you, <laughs> so I like, I can think of like three books, including this one that I've there, read there, by Canadian authors. There were Canadian Lit prereqs since I went okay. to a Canadian school and did a Lit degree. Um, yeah. I did not. And I really loved my Ken Lit professor. Mm. Uh... And the poetry is fine, but the liter- the like, the novels are just like, oh Blink my god! Like, as I'll get out. Fair. Like, as for me and my house, which is like a classic. We're not talking. Anyway, this just reminded me why I don't read grown-up books. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Or I read uh, when I do read grown-up books. I read chiclet. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read a book that wasn't YA or historical fiction in so long. Yeah. And even with historical fiction, like, I I love Philippa Gregory shit is, like, my jam. Mm -hmm. But uh, she has one about the White Queen that's about the queen who had the princes in the tower, like, the the little boys who disappeared. And that I, like, couldn't handle. I got to the end of that book and I was like, I didn't know it was this book. I would not have read it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I just don't. I'd rather just pretend that. We live in Sarah Dessen's world. Yeah. Where your parents have a lot of money and the boys are cute. Mm-hmm. And there's like ice cream on the beach and your biggest problem is thinking up a theme for the summertown jam. <laughs> That's why I read why I lit. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tristan D'Amour. 
You might know me from the Scrum Podcast. Hi, I'm Harrison Mulo Jason. You might know me from, uh, anyway. So we're here to tell you about a new podcast miniseries called Hebemus Pod. It's a show about HBO's The Young Pope. Every episode, we'll feature a guest viewer to talk about an episode. Will they have a fresh perspective on the show, two years after it aired? We sure hope so. It's very simple. We talk about three things. A highlight, a low light, and the very famous Cherry Coke Zero character of the episode. Yes, yes. Uh, and we hope you tune in right here on the Upfront Network. I'm Julian McKenzie, co-host of the Scrum Podcast, a sports show I'm doing with my podcasting partner in crime, Tristan Damore, on the UpFord Network. Every week, we analyze something different from the Canadian sports media landscape. Lack of diversity, getting a job in the field, coverage of different sports, and answering some of the harder questions. Through a combination of back-and-forth discussion and high-profile guest interviews, we're aiming to figure out exactly what's up in the world of sports. Find us wherever podcasts are sold. iTunes, Stitcher. Google Play, SoundCloud, Message in a Bottle, Morse Code, Telegram, Singing Telegram, Target, Walgreens, Bird's Nest, Dad's Shed, uh, and a crowded convention center bathroom. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Right now, at the Indiegogo campaign on uh, the Upford Network, we also have an option of buying something to uh buying a perk to force us to read any book you want so Mm -hmm. uh if you if you want to make us read something and talk about it like we just did in this episode um Mm -hmm. go to the upward indiegogo campaign which we will link to Mm -hmm. you can follow us on twitter at yeah podcast and individually at tepper bear and at the balesosaurus you can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on stitcher or apple podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend who likes bleak novels not actually though I mean special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music you can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com this episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network you can find out out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com Poke Sounds like a dance. (laughs) Poke apocalyptic, yeah, baby, do the poke apocalyptic.